Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, August the 25th, 2023. If it's a Friday, late afternoon, East Coast time. Uh, evening Europe. It must be that was the week, my weekly roundup of tech and investment and financial news with my old friend Keith Tier down in the peninsula. Um, we've spent the last few shows focusing on the crisis of the venture capital industry. This week, though, we are focusing on a different kind of crisis, uh, a moral crisis of a, one particular venture capitalist, a man called Chamath. Palapataya, a very wealthy ex-Facebook man who has been accused of, at least according to Keith, um, in a hit job, accused of, I don't know if it's dishonesty or fraud or, or just um, moral dodginess in his association with SPACs. What's happening with Chamath and SPACs, Keith? It's interesting because this was like a non-subject, but suddenly uh, this week, uh, Eric Newcomer, who writes what is typically a very good newsletter called, called Newcomer, decided to have a go at Chamath for his involvement in SPACs. In, he calls it the scam in the arena. The scam in the arena, which is becoming because Chamath's defense was at least he's in the arena doing things, whereas Eric is um, a bystander commentating on things. Uh, and and he, it, it's a very vicious piece, actually, I think. Uh, I don't know if Eric thinks it's balanced, but I, I definitely don't. It's a vicious piece attacking Chamath for the fact that people lost money investing in SPACs, whereas Chamath made money. And that's because he played the role of what's known as a sponsor. Sponsors typically are the first money in and the first money out in a SPAC. And, and um, for some reason, Eric Newcomer took umbrage about that. Uh, you may recall Chamath was involved with SoFi, with Open Door, with Virgin Galactic. He I mean, was, we all knew at the time, or some of us knew, I always made it clear that I thought SPACs, if not were a formal scam, were incredibly dodgy. Uh, the, the photo that you include, was he called in front of someone? Was he having to defend himself publicly, or is this just a... Uh, uh, excusing the, the pun, a spat on spats between Chamath and Newcomer Online. Uh, that, that, that's a, a mid-journey characterization. That is not Chamath, by the way. Chamath is both older and, um, I would argue, less attractive than this gentleman. But um, uh, I told... You're relying on AI, Keith, for your art. I am, I am. And I told mid-journey to produce a characterization of Chamath answering questions from a journalist waving his hands furiously in his attempt to answer. That's what it produced. I thought it was quite it's good. Not bad. It did a good job. Um, no, so look, um, uh, he didn't have to answer other than the fact that he chose to on Twitter, on now X, and there's a long thread in the news But so I what, so, so very in, in very simple terms, was Newcomer saying that Chamath knew what he was doing? It's pretty much the implication of everything he says. He, he accuses Chamath of um, knowingly leading, leading an effort that would lose money for the investors. Um, and he uses a lot of flowery language. He, he makes fun of the fact that Chamath just had a flamboyant wedding in Italy, 
that Grimes and Elon Musk attended. It's very personal. It's a very personal attack uh, with a lot of rancor. Um, I don't know what Eric's motivations are, but it, you know, it's it it reads as if he's jealous and angry. Um, because well, I don't think that's uh, anytime anyone criticizes wealthy, successful tech people, people say they're jealous. I, I think that's a it's a very easy and un, unprovable. Um, yeah, that's why I, 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 I'm not trying to prove it. Uh, I mean, uh, it's hard to imagine. But, but look, the only accusation really is that Chamath made money and others lost money. That, that's the core so of the what, So what's your take? You defend Chath, you're not Chath, uh, you, you defend Chamath in the newsletter. No, you, not just uh, You argue that SPAC was a good idea for a company. You say you were associated. But even at the time, I remember you and I used to talk about this all the time. I said, I, I don't buy this stuff. Actually, that, you misread my, the words. It says, I don't believe, I never believed that a SPAC was a good idea for Well, you, that's wrong, because there were times where you had some faith in the early days. Well, I, I go on to explain that as the SPAC as an instrument is separate from the companies that use it or the sponsors that sponsor them. SPACs have been around for decades. They're not new. And they've worked very well in, in all kinds of circumstances. So you have to get a little bit specific. The 2019-2020 the SPACs were rapidly put together to benefit from a market that was highly overpriced and paying very high prices. And uh, that, that attracted companies that needed a lot of capital. Now, the interesting thing is the public markets are really a pretty crappy place for companies that need a lot of capital normally, um, like space companies, for example. There's a reason space, SpaceX is not a public company because the public markets just aren't very good at that. But for that brief moment between 2019 and 2020, the public markets were a good place for that. So companies that needed capital like Virgin Galactic uh, or Open Door that buys homes uh, or SoFi that finances loans and so on, they, they went through the SPAC route. The question is, were they acting rationally in the belief that it was a good choice? And my answer is yes, they were. There was no scam. It, it was a totally rational choice at the time. And I've always argued that. They did raise money, those, those three. It's in their bank and they're alive today because of it. What then happened is the markets corrected in 2021 and the SPACs went down massively, massively. Um, uh, uh, but so too did non-SPACs. All right. Well, Newcom includes this this chart that you um, that you cite. It, it does look a bit fishy, Keith, doesn't it? Well, I I use the the phrase reading history backwards. Um, look, if you look at the Titanic at the bottom of the ocean, you can say it looks a bit fishy. But, but no one fishy. Everything looks fishy if you look back. That where it had a bad turnout. And by the way, where it looks good, it looks like genius if you look back. And both are wrong. Both are, what's that quote about uh, both, both are um, uh, fakes, uh, genius and idiocy, are both fakes. But, but you... coming back to Chamath and, and, and Spax, what's Newcomer's argument that, um, that he knew what he was doing, he implied that he knew what he was doing, he got in early, and, and, and that he's basically destroyed his reputation because of 
the desire to make money. Um, it's just a, a pylon, to be honest, Andrew. There's no coherent analysis, really. It's, it, it's an angry pylon. And that's why I, I took it on, because uh, the, the reality of anyone in 2019 who was in a position to create a SPAC and find a merger partner was that it made complete sense and financially seemed like a good decision for everybody. It was one of those win-win-wins where the, the sponsor wins, the investors win, and the company wins. How things change, Keith, between then and now? I mean, it, it's inconceivable that, I mean, obviously SPACs have failed, so they're not gonna, we're not going to have SPACs 2.0. But in today's economic environment, things are so dramatically different, aren't they? Yeah. By the way, Andrew, there was a SPAC yesterday, two days ago. I mentioned it in the editorial. I, I wrote, I put it in after I sent it to you. So you probably haven't seen it, but better.com did a SPAC two days ago. Uh, uh, $535 million is now in its bank account. It lost 95% of its stock value on the first day. It's it always seems to me to be the, the actions in this I don't know enough about the better.com, but it always seems the actions of a desperate company. All companies are desperate until they're profitable. I mean, that's the whole thing. The idea that there are these pristine startups that are not desperate and don't lose money is a myth. All yeah, but your Series B stuff that you follow on, um, uh, which you you focus on, um, the, the signal on rank. signal rank. Um, the ones that are backed by blue chip venture companies, I mean, they're in a stronger position. They're not going to fall back on SPACs. Actually, these SPACs were backed by just exactly those quality of investors. That's why they became attractive to Chimat. So who lost money, Keith? Who are the people who got burned? The people who got burned are the people who stayed in the SPAC after the initial listing. And are they retail investors? Uh, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of them are retail investors. A lot of them are uh, original SPAC investors. Like that $535 million, which is in the bank account of better.com, was provided by SoftBank. So today, SoftBank's half a billion is, is worth 95% less. Uh, the value of better.com today is $19 million. $19 million. So SoftBank has lost 95% of half a billion. Not for the last or the, not for the first or the last time. We, as you, one of the pieces you suggest, we're in the early days of AI and AI hype cycles. How similar do you think the AI hype is to the SPAC hype, or are they incomparable? No, they're very comparable. Um, I think you should think of venture capital as a, um, a repeating series of bubbles driven by rational behavior. So not an irrational bubble, but a rational bubble. And that, that's because whenever a new technology promises to transform everything, people want to be part of it. And the demand to be part of it is way in excess of the need for the money. So the price gets driven up. And everybody is trying to get in. And AI is at that stage. It's um, uh, in reality, the money hasn't really started to flow yet, which is why Elad Gill is so right to say it's the, the early stages. But over the next 10 years, we are going to see probably 
hundreds of billions of dollars invested in AI at prices that will make your eyes water. Many will say that that is putting money into loss-making companies, that it's a Ponzi scheme of some kind. What it actually is, is rational actors trying to own a piece of the future before it's too late. And that, that will happen over and over again because venture capital was designed to do that. It's by design that it does that. Uh, yeah, and everything seems to be timing. I mean, Chamath, like so many of these ultra-wealthy tech people, is a master of timing. What about the uh, NVIDIA news today on uh, this week on its rocket ship year? They, they've been in a number of headlines. Their stock is incredible. Um, are we going to look back at that as hype or is it for real? Both. Um, it's definitely for real. Uh, the, the revenues were up over 100% uh, quarter over quarter, quarter over quarter, not year over year. And uh, they are predicting that next quarter's revenues will be up 170%. And that's all driven by the demand for what's known as GPUs, which are the the brains that allow AI to uh, pass lots of... Yeah, I mean, they're the found, they're, they're, they are the, the foundations of this new AI economy. It wouldn't be possible without the NVIDIA chips. NVIDIA and a couple of other companies. Arm is about to do an IPO. They, they certainly play in that space as well uh, and uh, are undervalued, actually, I would say. Um, so uh, NVIDIA is uh, the, the leader, however, the flagship... AI computing power company now, and uh, it's real. Now, what's it all... to Intel, by the way? Why is Intel never in these conversations? Intel does not have a powerful GPU. It has CPUs, which are the you know the chips that run the computer's logic, but not uh, the chips that pass all of the heavy lifting on data analysis. They they do have a new GPU that is now in the market starting this year. Uh, which is somewhat equivalent. So do AMD, but NVIDIA is the leader by far just because of quality. So what's the next level up as in the NVIDIAs of the world boom? What's the next sector to become a rocket ship on the, uh, in this AI ecosystem? I think cloud AI is going to be huge. That is to say, uh, instead of you buying GPUs from NVIDIA, Somebody else will buy them and provide all the software interfaces for you to use them. For so that whatever. what, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon or other companies? There's other companies as well. There's a lot of new investments in, in the last couple of months in infrastructure companies for AI. So that, that's going to be big. And then I think vertically integrated AI, you know, AI that is able to be really good at a specific thing. So this week, open AI went back to the previous version of ChatGPT called 3.5, and they opened it up to what's called Turbo, which means you can train it on your own data. And so you're going to get lots of vertically specific AI coming out of that. And increasingly, OpenAI will be an infrastructure company that other people's products sit on top of. So we're not going to see consumer-facing companies for a while. We will, because I think Amazon and Apple and Google will all you know, abandon their previous efforts at assistance like Siri and um, the like and replace them with better versions. I think that will happen over the next year or two. But there isn't a lot of money in that. That's kind of a commodity. I think con consumer-facing AI 
is really more to do with learning and having an assistant. I think there'll be a lot of digital assistants. Well, I'm still waiting for my digital assistant. Um, and what about what, what does Signal Rank tell us um, in terms of where the smart money is going, Keith? What's Chamath doing with his money these days? Certainly not going into SPACs. Chamath. Uh, Chamath actually published yesterday. He thinks the market, the venture market, may have bottomed. Uh, so he's going to start reinvesting, I would imagine. But he's investing at the early stage, the seed stage. Uh, it's funnily enough, uh, Vinod Kostler just tweeted a few minutes ago that lots of high-value jobs are going to be replaced by AI, and he listed a few of them. He didn't list venture capitalists, so I replied to him to say that venture capitalists doing late stage investing should also be on the list. Uh, and Chamath thinks that too. So he's going early stage. And I think early stage investing is going to see a renaissance. A lot of money is going to go into early stage investing. Do I sense in this late summer of 2023, Keith, a little bit of tiny glimpse of optimism for you, a spring in your voice that I haven't heard the last few weeks, that you're beginning to think that like Chamath, that we've reached the bottom? I, I You know, I, there's a whole section of this week's newsletter letter on IPOs, and two IPOs filed today, uh, Clavio and Instacart both filed today. And um, I do think that I'm never pessimistic or optimistic, actually, Andrew. I, what I think is there's more than one thing happening at the same time, and the trick is to see everything and understand it in its right context. There's a lot of reasons for optimism, and Series B rounds are one of them, which is what my colleague Rob writes about uh, in, in his um, ecosystem analysis. Of series right, it's hugging face. It's a $4 billion valuation. What, what is hugging face? It, it's using AI in the CRM space. And so Salesforce Ventures uh, led the round, and Mark Benioff announced the round on Twitter. Um, and a $4 billion valuation for a company that is very early in revenue, by the way. So that reinforces my point about SPACs. Companies that are losing money is the norm in venture capital. And it's not a negative signal when they're losing money, unless they're losing money and not growing a business. Then it's a negative signal. Well, Keith is a Yorkshireman, so he's never that cheerful. But I do sense uh, he's not willing to acknowledge, confess his own cheerfulness. I willing. Uh, I do note a, a slight shift in his attitude. We're going to take a brief break, Keith. We're going to thank our sponsor, uh, the Keenon sponsor, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. Run a short ad, and then we'll be back, Keith, with my two favorite features of the week: startup of the week and X of the week. You're still using this word Twitter and tweet, Keith. It's it's old fashioned. <laughs> it's finished. Why why are you still using that word? Age. I'm just old. I cling on to the past. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. You can check out more about Liberties, libertiesjournal.com. So, Keith, we are back. You've got a very, you sometimes these 
startups of the week are a little unstartuffish, but this one is a good one. Pact. Tell me a little bit about them, what you like about this company. Um, they, uh, they seem to be uh, doing some interesting stuff. Pact VC. So, Not just a name, but a promise. Yeah, so if you, I don't know if you, if you can get the team, there you go, yeah. Monica so, Pham, Tongu, and Reem Mobilesa Windham, an interesting collection of three women. Mobisella Windham. Mobisella, and you're an investor. They got your money. They must be doing something, right? And I don't do many private investments, but yeah, Reem and Tong are former colleagues of mine in the UK with ADV, and they set up their own venture fund. And I did write one of their first checks. That's true. And then now they've raised, I think, about 20 million pounds. They're now raising more. And I made them start up the week for a few reasons. Number one, as we all know, venture capital is challenged in that there are not a lot of women VCs. And here you get three all in one fund. Secondly, they're, they're super diverse. Reem is Palestinian. Tong is Chinese. And uh, Monique, I think, is Turkish. I could be wrong about that, Monique. So if I'm wrong, please reprimand me. But she's um, uh, so all, all of them are from different parts of the world. They live in London and they've all got pretty good track records, backgrounds in finding early stage companies. They're a seed investor. Uh, so I and Reem is headed to Silicon Valley to meet people here, potential investors for her fund. So I, I said to them, well, why don't I make you start up of the week? And at least people will get to know you exist. And that's why I did it. Well, they're going to be world famous now. What do they need to do to become a really serious player in, in, in your world? Well, seed investing is the one stage of investing that is entirely human and intuitive and always will be. It, it, it would be impossible for even a super smart computer to be as intuitive as humans are, because what you're really doing at that stage is assessing people, you're assessing their ideas, and you're assessing the market that doesn't yet exist that they want to own. So that's a lot of unknowns. And um, intuition goes a long way. Uh, I can, if, if we had time, I'll tell you some of the companies at Ream and well, they're not Rumsfeld. They, 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 they know they're unknowns. These are not unknown unknowns. Exactly. And um, are they focused specifically in investing in female startups, diverse startups, or just any? No, no. Any startups in Europe that they believe in. They're, they're, they're basically like, um, they're no different than male investors, shock. Women can be just like men, which is they're motivated by likely financial outcomes and they assess everything in that context. So they're not against diverse female founders, but they're not explicitly limiting themselves to diverse females. I had Tom Kemp. I don't know if you're familiar with him, a Silicon Valley based investor on the show, my keen on show earlier this week. And he's just written a book aggressively against big tech and my reading of the conversation in the book is he thinks that these big tech companies are bad for the small early stage investors like himself is there some truth to that can um can pack bc can they work with the big companies or are the big companies a threat to them they're bo both things actually um they're a threat insofar as they might try to acquire good startups early for very little money. 
and that undermines the entire venture capital business model if that happens. So founders need to... Well, they're smart to do that. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, they w they'll try. But good founders won't sell early because they're, they're fishing in a bigger pool and they're looking for something bigger. They're also a help. I mean, Google invests a lot in startups. Um, uh, Apple, a little bit less. Um, uh, Facebook, less. Um, uh, but they're also a help because they provide a context in which a startup can distribute its uh, message, tell its story. Imagine if you had to tell your story and there's no LinkedIn or Facebook or X. It would be a lot harder. So I, I, I think big tech is somewhat irrelevant to the seed fund agenda. Um, later, much later, your companies may get acquired for good amounts of money by them, like DeepMind, for example, was acquired by Google, having been, been a startup in London um, for $300 million, I think, at the time. Yeah, I've got um, Mustafa Suleiman on the Keenon show on, Monday, on Tuesday. I'm excited about that. Uh, speaking of LinkedIn, you did link with an interesting piece. I didn't realize that in LinkedIn's newsletters have changed. What are they doing this week that's interesting if you want to get your message out? Well, LinkedIn already has a fairly decent newsletter platform that I, I uh, put that was weak on it every week in addition to Substack. They've now um, improved the interface and made it possible for you to author multiple newsletters on the same platform. Is this and a Substack competitor or different? I think it is. Yeah, I definitely think it'll be a choice for some people whether to use that or Substack or Beehive, which is the new emerging one. Um, yeah, I, th I think it is a competitor. I, I fully expect X will have a competitor at some point. I don't know if you know this, Andrew, but... You told me X, that there's no replacement for X. Well, you know, on, on X, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I, I can copy and paste my entire editorial on X and it will allow me to have the whole editorial there, even though it may be a thousand. Well, that's because you pay. What are you paying? Eight dollars a month. So what? So so that's good for me because it stops. So you having... mean it automatically makes S X a competitor to both LinkedIn and Substack? They're all kind of merging. I, I think of it them as distribution platforms. I, I think what you really do when you publish is you have one publishing platform and then N distribution platforms. Medium's a distribution platform, so is X, so is Facebook, so is LinkedIn, uh, and, and there'll be others. Well, speaking of N and X and all these letters, you have an X of the week, and I have to say, Keith, there's a little bit dodgy here. Speaking of hit jobs you got a bit of a cheat you're making signal rank your own company x of the week i may have to do a, a newcomer on you and reveal your corruption your scamminess what's happening here um actually this is my colleague rob so it isn't the self so you're blaming him no i'm blaming him i'm praising him i come yeah to but he works him. for you right i come to praise caesar if you remember that but you are caesar as well <laughs> no, Rob, Rob, Rob uh, produced a really good, I, I will say, firstly, the, the data and analytics at Signal Rank has massively improved over the summer. It was already good, but it's really, really good now. And Rob... Well, that's wrote, your way of saying it was terrible before the summer, and now you're happy with it. <laughs> and uh, Rob wrote uh, an overarching piece all about Series Bs, 
which kind of double clicks on the fact that every stage of venture is different. Uh, so you can't really talk about venture without getting into the details. And this gets into the details of Series Bs. It makes the point that the average amount raised at Series B is $27 million, is the highest it's ever been except for 2020 and 2021, which were weird years. So he kind of is trying to be optimistic in the midst of all the doom and gloom that there is about venture. You see, I told you, you're being more optimistic. So what, what does Rob report on Series B that we need to know? He reports that uh, there are lots of... He goes into detail about the structure of a Series B. The, the, the most important question on a Series B is how many of them do a Series C? And the most important question on a C is how many of them do a Series D? But how many go from B to C? How many drop off? Um, a lot drop off, uh, more than 50%. Um, so 50% of people, 50% uh, of startups that raise a Series B round die before a Series C or get acquired or, or become or just, profitable. And or just... become profitable. There's all kinds of outcomes. Uh, but the ones that grow value in a visible way go on to do subsequent rounds. So it's all about what is the tempo of subsequent rounds, how many days between rounds, how much money is raised the next time versus the last time and so on and so forth. So it, it's a very much a deep dive into the weeds of the venture ecosystem. And why, why is your company giving all this information away? Why aren't you selling it? it, it you know, it's already there. You could get this kind of stuff on Crunchbase, which we credit, by the way, as being the source of most of this. Who your we, wife works for. So they, yeah. you we do the analysis. I don't know whether, Keith, that's a no win or a no lose. When your principal competitor involves your wife, they're not a competitor; they're a supplier to us, actually, and and we couldn't do it without them. So, uh, and and they don't do what we do. That's what so, you say to Janae, right? Exactly, exactly, Andrew. I'm not going to open up that comment for analysis or public display. And then finally, um, in terms of AI, was there a kind of um, dinosaur level meteorite? meteorite event in venture capital with AI? Will historians of AI investment look back at the open AI stuff and say there were investments before then and then after then? And does that affect the current state of, of, of Series B? Uh, I think the answer is probably no, not yet. But there, there is a good article on the history of AI that Elad Gill wrote about going back in time. Very good in this week's newsletter. That and I'll answer that question. But certainly, open AI is not the beginning of history; it's the middle of history. Wow! And what's the end of history, Keith? We don't know, Andrew. We don't know. There won't be one. If, as as good ontological. Uh, well, I can guarantee you two things about the end of history. Spurs will never win anything, and Manchester United won't win very much. How about that? I think that's going to be true for quite some time. 